Hi, it's Jamie, Progressive number one, number two employee. Leave a message at the... Hey, Jamie, it's me, Jamie. This is your daily pep talk. I know it's been rough going ever since people found out about your acapella group, Mad Harmony, but you will bounce back. I mean, you're the guy always helping people find coverage options with the Name Your Price tool. It should be you giving me the pep talk. Now get out there, hit that high note, and take Mad Harmony all the way to nationals this year! Sorry, it was pitchy. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Love Talk Radio. If I speak for your followers, and I speak for your ex-followers, and I speak for the curious outsiders looking in, and you remain silent in the shadows and don't let your balls drop enough to come out and say something, then I say, who do you speak for, Mr. Miscavige? Anything on earth that says, don't listen to your mom and dad, don't talk to your mom and dad, that's bad. They have wrong. Absolutely believed his own bullshit. Now, does that mean he believed it from day one? I don't know. Hubbard reveals to them that he is the Antichrist. Scientology has not helped you. You have helped yourself. Yeah, I'm absolutely positive that happened because I was physically abused in Scientology. We're crossing the line into torture. Do you think there is a rape culture in Scientology? I think that there is a culture in Scientology that children are not children. So... Yeah. All right, welcome back. Don't get some extra is back after what seems like forever. Let's see if I remember how to do this again. I'll reintroduce myself. I am Chris Kermy, Miami Six Man on Twitter. You can follow at CGS underscore extra. There's also CGS here, and you can email the show using CGS here at gmail.com. Uh, today I have a very special guest. It should be a lovely show. And uh, I have a lot of guests coming up. I'm actually working really hard to get a, um, a good amount of people coming on to tell some uh, real important information. Uh, but first, let me just say this. Uh, congratulations. Uh, why I was away uh, from doing the show, uh, Scientology Aftermath won, uh, won their Emmy. So congratulations on that. To me, that doesn't – in my opinion, that doesn't mean uh, it was great production value, great performance, great uh, display of information uh, by the host and the guests, I think it means voices have been heard and uh, on, on the biggest stage. So that's a big deal. And uh, congratulations to everybody. Uh, congratulations to everybody involved in that. Uh, so that is a big deal. Uh, that continues to be a juggernaut for information and getting it out. It helps to have uh, the celebrity name uh, behind it and uh, the recognizable faces. Uh, there are other programs that I know have been produced and been made. Uh, that I would hope to see the later day of soon as well. Um, it doesn't take much to just do some searches online and see. Uh, there is more information available to be seen. We just need to see it. Uh, so hopefully that comes, uh, that's forthcoming. Uh, also, uh, I saw some people talking today about the, about this connection, and we talk about the uh, families. Uh, and one of the mothers, um, one of the uh, about some relatives of her had, had been in communication with her son and that he was doing well and that uh, he's pretty happy right now. Uh, but it was because of that fear of interacting with people uh, that people don't speak up and say things, that fear of the reaction of the Church of Scientology. And it's important to remember 
if you look at uh, all the people who've been on the last show, all the people I've talked to, all the people we've seen in different uh, social media forums, uh, people leave Scientology all the time. People talk about Scientology all the time now. I talk about Scientology all the time now. Uh, it's not like back when my guest today, Paula Cooper, was voicing her, uh, you know, speaking out about it and having her voice heard. She was the only one to focus on at the time. So uh, it's time to stop being afraid and start, you know, standing up to people and uh, and uh, getting things done. So uh, you all came to hear an interview uh, with a with a icon in the uh, conversation about fair game because she pretty much got it uh, the worst publicized, uh, you know, publicly reported on. Uh, Paulette Cooper. Here's uh here's our conversation. It's a pretty good one. Here's part one. All right, so this week I have got a bucket list guest, someone I've been really wanting to have on here since I started this podcast. Uh, please welcome to the show the unbreakable Miss Lovely herself, Paulette Cooper. Hey, Paulette. Hi, how are you? Good, good. Thank you for being on the show. I'm honored to have you on. Uh, you are uh, pretty much a a, uh, a figure that represents what the Church of Scientology will do to people. Yes, that's unfortunately. I always think that, you know, it's a great story, but I wish it wasn't my life. Yeah, I can imagine. Uh, just to go back to the beginning, you, you started out, um, you, you're a you're a Holocaust survivor, is that right? Yes. Okay, so... I lost both my parents in Auschwitz and was myself saved one week before I was to be sent there. Wow, and that, and that I was brought up in Belgium. Yeah, I was brought up in Belgium, and uh, came to America when I was six years old and was adopted. Okay, and that's that's quite the thing there. I think that could, that could be a whole other discussion about. You know, it brings up a bunch of questions. I'm not going to ask about that because I, like I said, that's a whole other subject. The whole the whole Holocaust thing. How, how old were you before you were old enough to realize um, that you had survived such a thing? Well, the I I came over here when I was six years old, and I did have a lot of memories. But one thing that happened, one good thing that happened because of Scientology, was that Tony Ortega, who writes this column every day, called either Tony Ortega Org about what's happening in Scientology. He wrote a story about me and my book, and in it he mentioned somewhat casually that I was a Belgian-born Holocaust survivor. And the story got picked up by the largest newspaper in Belgium and its sister paper in Holland. And within 24 hours, I received an email from someone saying, I believe it was my father who saved you. And so through Scientology, I was able to find out how I was saved. And I met the man. In fact, if you go to my website, paulacooper.com, and look up on the left-hand side, there's a link to the Daily Mail story. The Daily Mail did a, a story on this reunion, and in fact, I just came back from Europe where I saw this man again for the second time, and in fact, he told me even more stories about his father and how his father saved me, and I have a sister, uh, two years older, and he saved both of us. Wow. So, so that's that's great. I mean, I, I always said because I, I think also 
you know, going a little bit out of order here, but at the at the end of all this mess of Scientology, you you got reunited with your sister. Is that not right? Yeah, no, not uh, I had been in touch with her, but as a result, I found out. See, I had a huge gap in my life. I didn't understand why. Why were my parents killed? Why wasn't I killed? Where was I? How was I saved? And that all got uh, filled in. And in fact, I've seen, now seen pictures of myself as a, a two-year-old. I've never seen pictures uh, before wow. five. And so it's, it's been a, quite a journey. Absolutely. In the last couple of years. Well, the, now also something else good that happened as a result of the Scientology thing. Most of it was disastrous for me. It was great for other people and all the people that I helped, but not for my life. But the lawyer that I worked with at the end, he had a party and about a year later and invited me, and that's where I met my husband. So that, you see, a couple of, some good things can come out of some really bad ones. Yeah, yeah, it's true. I've heard a lot of people who are ex-Scientologists will say they wouldn't change a thing because if they did, X wouldn't have happened. So, so there's always something positive um, to take out of out of your, a lifelong journey like this. And I've always said, and I, I told Tony this when I interviewed him, I said, your story, it, 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 being a Scientology story, a, a lot of it, dealing with a, a group of people who are so about hurting other people and, and damaging families, I love that your story is kind of a story of connection as opposed to disconnection. And I think that's pretty awesome. Right. Okay, so you came to, you went to New York to try to start a, uh, a career in writing, is that right? Yes, I had wanted to be a writer from the time I was eight years old. And I, want, I was doing very well, in fact, by the time I was 30. I had four books published, and by good, good publishing houses. So my life was really, I, I, my dream was being fulfilled. My life was going exactly the way I wanted it to go to. And then I decided to take on Scientology. And uh, that was taking on a behemoth, and a very nasty one. And I walked into something that was so monumental and terrible, and I had the only way I could have stopped it was if I had quit and stopped exposing them after the book came out. But so many people were having such terrible problems with being bankrupted by them, with having their family destroyed, with harassment, and there was nobody else. Nobody else had the guts to get up there. And so I kind of got stuck. I try to explain to people that there was a period of time, I know young people don't believe this, but there was a period of time there was no internet. Right. And that meant that, you know, there was no, I had to be the point person because I wrote the book and because everybody contacted me. Then if somebody needed help, for example, a lawyer was representing someone who was sued, I knew of somebody that might be able to help them or somebody had a, a problem with getting their money back, I knew someone who might be able to help them. So I found myself in this position of trying to help people, and then Scientology was secretly burglarizing all these lawyers' offices and government people's offices, and what they always found was my name and contact and often notes from what I had said. So their feeling was that if they could just 
shut me up then and get me to stop going after them, there would have been absolutely no opposition and nobody would have been able to help all these people that needed to know what, what was going on elsewhere in the world. That's a great point you bring up there is that like today, like I can do this podcast, like I do this weekly and I bash Scientology basically, but for for good reason. And I, I let people tell their stories and expose the abuses. Fair game goes on today, but nowhere near like it went back then. There's so many people to go after now. They can't keep up with it. But back then, like you said, it was just right. Paulette Cooper. Right. Exactly. They now have a lot of enemies and, and they're being very vocal. They're on Leah Rimini's show mm-hmm. once a week. They're in Tony's blog, uh, Tony Ortega Org, every single day. So it's like there's just uh, too much. Sometimes people say, oh, does Scientology still go after you? And I say, you know, thankfully, they have many, much worse people to worry about right now than me. So, of course, they like to dismiss what was done to me by saying, oh, it, it was years ago. Well, you know, so is World War II and so is the Holocaust. That doesn't mean that we can't look at it, especially because, as you just pointed out, a lot of the techniques are still being used. They're right. used for me. It's not as bad because of the Internet. When they do something terrible, it goes up on the Internet. They could, could and did do anything to me, and I had no way of telling more than, you know, ten friends which were... Uh, certainly didn't accomplish anything. So that makes a huge difference. They also used to be tremendously litigious. Uh, They sued me 19 times all over the world. I had to pay for these suits and go through depositions. That in itself was an absolute nightmare. Well, nobody wanted to touch them because they knew they would be sued. Now, they can't sue because the suits are backfiring. What happens is things are coming out in lawsuits as they do, but they're not secret anymore. In the old days, they could seal depositions. Now, the depositions are ending up online. Yeah. And the secrets <laughs> that they would rather not come out are becoming public record. So the few times in the past couple of decades now, or the past decade where they've sued, it's been disastrous for them. So as a result, people like Leah can have her show and Tony can have his blog and tell the truth, and all they can do is they put up their own blog smearing people who are speaking out. They hurt their own case with these with these smear campaigns. People see that. Yes. Well, they've always been what we call Operation Foot Bullet. Foot Bullet. Right, where they managed to shoot themselves in the foot so many times. It's like... One of my favorite Operation Football it was they wanted to show that 10,000 people had showed up at a rally, <laughs> and only about 2,500 had. Does this sound familiar, by the way? It does. No. <laughs> it really does. <laughs> they wanted to show that um, 10,000 people, there were only 2,500. So they took the 2,500 and they put them on you know, the other three squares around it so it looked like 10,000. Well, somebody looking at it noticed that the person on at one level, <laughs> his head was cut off, and the, some unique-looking person who was walking in one section also was walking in the other. Right. Cut and paste, cut and paste, cut and right, paste. Exactly. So that was Operation, 
Operation Foot Bullet. <laughs> <laughs> I was wondering, like, could we still do that today? I've seen examples of it. It's, it's, it's exactly. really insane yeah, to see. Opening of the new org, and then they show a picture, and then you can see that the others are pasted in dummies. You know, <laughs> hundred people showed up, and somehow it looks like there's two thousand. They, they never learn. Oh, it's crazy. And they reward they reward people for this. They actually they think they're doing something positive. And I I, I I'm trying to understand this, and I still to this day can't wrap my head around. Why do you think what they're doing works? Because they believe what they're told. They don't investigate. They're not allowed to go and look on the Internet. And and it's sad because they really take people's best impulses mm-hmm. and they sublimate them into Scientology and doing helping them out. For example, let's say that right this moment there's all the hurricanes going on and they have volunteer ministers. Mm-hmm. And volunteer ministers can get right up, you know, where nobody else can because there's an alleged church, religion, and so on. But are they helping people? No. What they were doing, for example, after 9-11 was trying to get as many people as possible to join Scientology via one of their programs that has been proven not to work that had to do with the, I, I don't know, some kind of... Treatment to get the asbestos and the problems out of them. I mean, it's just asbestos and the joint Scientology. And so here's an example of people. I mean, right now, I just saw a picture in Tony's blog today where they're carrying, oh, what do you call? They're carrying, you know, buckets of water and pails to clean up the beach in Clearwater after Hurricane Irma. But and the people who do this really think that they're doing something wonderful. Yep. But they don't realize that what they're tr- really being sent to do is to bring people into Scientology, which, by the way, they also think is something wonderful because they feel that they have the only technique that can save mankind. Right. So, again, they're taking altruistic uh, impulses and sublimating them to work for the church. Well, one of the sneakiest, most insidious, most uh, terrible things I see from any group like like Scientology, any cult-like group, or anybody who's dishonest, uh, they're going to show you their best to get you in and and, and do their worst. Um, Exactly. Well put. Well put. What they've done here... I'm sorry. They'll say to people, you know, we have a, a, a wonderful program that you know, helps get people off of drugs. Well, what do they do? They, they they become obsessed with Scientology instead. Right. Which is which is worse. I don't know. Well, you know, it's it's, it's a long range long range damage there. You know, what they did this time with Irma, you said with the beach with the buckets, uh, they yeah. came out. I saw a news report locally that they went out into uh, Clearwater. Um, with grills and food and water, and they actually did something. And I think that's a that's that's the campaign move by Scientology to say, "Hey, our image looks terrible. Let's make it look better." And they made sure the news crews caught it. Oh, they probably sent out their own um, videos. Yeah, this, this was a local news that reported it, and it just made it look good. And all they did was have people's testaments because these are people who are out of homes. These are people who are out of food, don't have water. They're grateful for what the volunteer ministers did for them. They think Scientology is great. They're being fooled. It's terrible. It's terrible to see. 
I mean, it's great that they're getting water and food and someone's taking care of them, but it's all under false pretenses, and that's sometimes maybe even more painful to watch than people just, you know, being manipulated. It is manipulation. So let's get into your story a little bit more. Um, when you started writing, were you was it your intention to do investigative reporting of some kind? Yeah, actually, I was interested in that. Remember that in 1972-73, this is the Watergate era. This is when the uh, Woodward and Bernstein were investigating Nixon, and investigative reporting was very hot. You know, right now, being a reporter, a lot of people, they're saying, oh, well, it's fake news, fake news. But in those days, it was a very, whistleblowing was a very respectable and important thing that was being done. I mean, it, it, it brought down a president who deserved to be brought down because he thought he was above the law. Hmm. And that was done by a whistleblower talking to a reporter. So I, 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 was, I was always interested in uncovering frauds and things like that. I was very cynical. The, it, that's why I never became a Scientologist. I was approached, but I was somebody that said, you know, show me, don't just tell me. I don't believe this. Of course, we couldn't go on the Internet and look things up like we can today. So I would ask around. And Scientology is very popular then. I think that there were about 150,000 members. Wow. Less than 20,000. Yeah. But it was very popular. Nobody knew anything about it. And I was approached, and I began asking around. And somebody knew someone who had been a Scientologist, and when he left, uh, they destroyed him, and he got death threats and everything. And that was kind of my first indication that uh, this was a more sinister group than people thought. In fact, there was no concept early on that, that, that it was at all sinister. It's just, you know, it's a foolish people doing foolish things. Something different, yeah. Wow, so you, uh, you started... Well, I'm trying to remember what happened. I think I think you started wanting to look more into it. I think when your neighbor Bill came to your to your apartment. Yeah, actually, it had started slightly before that. I was a copywriter at BBDO, and the I had a boyfriend there, and he joined Scientology, and he tried to get me to to join. And first of all, when he started telling me about Scientology, I realized that when I was 12 years old, I I read a wonderful book that called Fads and Fallacies in the Name of Science by Martin Gardner. And that there had been a chapter, a hilarious chapter, on Dianetics. So I realized that this was the same when he described it. And then he started telling me that he thought he was Jesus Christ after he joined Scientology. So I thought, well, this is interesting. And then it was his boss, who Bill, who came to the house at my apartment and began also acting very, very, very weird. And I thought, hmm. And I started asking questions, and that's where I, I came upon this guy named Ray Buckingham, who had been, he'd run a Scientology organization. And when he tried to break away or something, they, they tried to destroy him. And they, they took the mission or the franchise away, which historically they've always done. When a mission or franchise does well, they've found a reason to close it down because they want the money going to them, not to the franchise. Uh-huh. Okay. Clever. Yeah. 
okay, so when you hear when you hear I'm Jesus Christ reincarnated, that's not they're not saying that metaphorically, are they? No, no. I, I, up until then, I didn't know that they believed in past lives. And the interesting thing, too, about past lives that they believe in is that they were always somebody famous. You know, I mean, statistically, <laughs> if, one, if there are past lives, you're far more likely, you know, to be a peasant, have been a peasant in yeah. China. <laughs> Nobody was a tan amber. <laughs> they're one of the thousand famous people in the world, but they always think that they were, you know, Napoleon and Jesus Christ and, and so on. Weren't a housekeeper or a plumber? <laughs> no one? <Yeah>. Never? <laughs> never. Never, never, never. Always somebody famous. Um, Lord Nelson at the Battle of Trafalgar. You hear that. You hear that. <laughs> you do. I've always thought it was strange that multiple people have claimed to be the same person from a past life. Like they can all be reincarnated at once. Right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, you said that person lived all these hundreds of lives. But it is a wonderful book called The Three Christs of Ypsilanti. And what they did is they went, the writer went to a mental institution in Ypsilanti and interviewed three people who thought they were Jesus Christ and then put them together to see if this changed their opinion as to who they were. So, hmm. A little digression. Did they did they did they agree that they all just did they make excuses for why they were all Jesus Christ or did they fight about it? I'm curious now. I I think none of them gave up their position. Yeah. yeah they just excused it. It was like everything else. Right. The other one was a false Jesus. Ah. So. <laughs> Don't worship false gods, right? Um So you decided if I got this right, this is when you decided you need to see this for yourself. Yes, I need to look. Well, no, then I, yes, then I went to a weekend undercover under another name that Scientology spent years trying to find out. <laughs> By the way, if you're listening, it was Paula Madison. <laughs> <laughs> Madison, because I lived off Madison Avenue. <laughs> Makes sense. So, I love it. Also, I, I went undercover. And I thought that the technique, you know, they have an initial inexpensive technique. I thought it was quite dangerous. It was, it induces hallucinations. And that is basically staring at somebody. And you try that and for a while. And before you know it, you are hallucinating. Now, that's interesting. By the way, I, I, I had a master's degree in psychology. So I saw this as a, a form of a mental health treatment that was not necessarily good for people. And incidentally, people who say that they, you know, they've noticed that Scientologists stare a lot. Yep. That's because they're trained to do this thing that they call confronting or something, which is, as I said, a hallucinogenic inducing staring at people. And then the other person says things to you to try to make you blink. Yeah. Move. And it gets very, very nasty and very, very dirty, very, very fast. Yeah, I want to get into that. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, I, yeah, I didn't like that at all. I thought that this was terrible. And then I kind of snuck away, and I found some notes that with people's names on them, and they said that this person, woman, was an enemy of mankind, and that she'd pushed five men down the flight of stairs, which I certainly didn't believe. <laughs> and then I, I 
I forget whether I memorized or wrote down their names, and then I went back home, and I tried to call these people, and everyone had an unlisted phone number. And in those days, you didn't have unlisted phone numbers, unless you were a mafia member or something. So I wondered if these people were being harassed, and that was why they did that. And the maybe I said to myself, the purpose of putting these names out like this is to harass so that their members can harass them. So it all began to have a, a very sinister undertone. Now, I want to try to get... No, which one I decided I would look into this further. Okay. I want to get a feel of the room there, the lay of the room where you went in and because you're, you described the, the uh, trainings with the bull baiting, I think. Um, what was there? What was the age range in there that you can remember? Was there were there young people I in there? Young. I think a lot of younger people were being attracted to Scientology. The one thing they did is they they had people who would go after you know, to get them to be members, the very attractive people. But one of my friends said he's uh, he joined Scientology, so he could, I, I assume we can use this word here, so that he could screw a lot of women. Right. And uh, now he's a lawyer, so he's screwing a lot of other <laughs> <laughs> I like it. I like it. Yeah, but he said it worked, and that was, so the age range tended to be young. I mean, did you, did you see like 12-year-olds in there, 10-year-olds? Because I, I know that's something that's described today. Yeah, no. That's uh, I think that all that is separate. Okay. People like myself, almost off the street, you know, using they still use the same method, but far less, and that is the distributing invitation to take a personality test, free personality test, and then people would take a free test, and you know, always they needed Scientology, and a lot of the things they would say about people, you know, were very like astrology, you know, you tended to trust too many people and gotten hurt, you know, that kind of stuff. That would apply to anybody. Yeah. But always coming out negative to the person and that they need Scientology. And that was the main method, plus having very attractive women uh, to bring the men in. And uh, I don't remember having male, they were called FSN, field staff members. And they still use that, but not as much. You know, you can past Scientology organizations now, and you don't see that. Maybe because uh, people like myself go up to them and say, instead of spending hundreds of thousands of dollars to reach OTA, would you like me to tell you about it? <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So there were too many people probably, you know, the, the SSMs were probably leaving. So when I was in Copenhagen, I walked into, I stumbled upon one of the orgs there. So I walked in, and the man said, have you heard about Scientology? <laughs> and I said, yes, I have. That's why I'm leaving. <laughs> and I turned around and <laughs> But I think that, it, that may be why they, you don't see the people soliciting as much on the street, because people would go up to them and say, well, I saw Rhea Remini, or, you know, I read in uh, Tony's Order, or the thing I've always had is somebody has a family member. They say, you know, they joined Scientology, and then they became really weird, and they lost all their money, and, you know. So they, they can't send people out on the street to solicit if they're going to hear 
you know, bad things. He said, why don't you go on the, that's what I should say next time, why don't you go on the internet? <laughs> yeah, look it up. It's all there. Before you give another, before you give another dime, look it up. <laughs> well, well, I think that's something, that's a message a lot of people have put out since, you know, all the talking and speaking out has been going on uh, over the years recently is, you know, know what you're doing, don't just do it. You know, I don't care. If you hear of a brand new church tomorrow that looks good and you never heard of it, there might be something online about it that can help you decide not to go there or to go there. You know, it's... Uh, right, and even if people themselves don't I'll go and, and do a little bit of research, you know, many of them have mothers and fathers and sisters and brothers, and they go and look up on the Internet. We don't feel that Scientology is getting a lot of people in the United States. It's simply that the people that are there are not all leaving. They, uh, in fact, when groups feel attacked, they become even more adhesive, and they stick together because they can become paranoid and say, "Look, they're all trying to get us." That kind of stuff. I definitely so, see some of that. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so that okay, so that was part one with Paulette Cooper. Part two is next week. We'll get more into her experience when she went to that weekend. Uh, training course on Scientology. We'll also uh, talk about everything that happened after that point and some uh, pretty crazy stuff. So that's all next week. In two weeks, uh, I will be going live at 12 p.m. Eastern Standard Time here on Friday, the 13th of October, uh, with Fiona O'Leary, uh, who is an activist for uh, autism awareness and uh, for abuse uh, of children and all these things, and she's against Scientology and against uh, bleach treatments, which is some kind of uh, treatment to uh, supposedly cure autism, but it's really just damaging people's insides. We'll talk about the EMMS next uh, in two weeks live here on the air uh, with the phone lines open in case somebody wants to dare try to send that to Fiona. It should be very interesting. Uh, and uh, that about sums it up. Stay connected. See you guys next week. If I speak for your followers, and I speak for your ex-followers, and I speak for the curious outsiders looking in, and you remain silent in the shadows and don't let your balls drop enough to come out and say something, then I say, who do you speak for, Mr. Miscavige? Anything on earth that says, don't listen to your mom and dad, don't talk to your mom and dad, that's bad. Yeah, wrong. Absolutely believe his own bullshit. Now... Does that mean he believes it from day one? I don't know. Hubbard reveals to them that he is the Antichrist. Scientology has not helped you. You have helped yourself. Yeah, I'm absolutely positive that happened because I was physically abused in Scientology. We're crossing the line into torture. Do you think there is a rape culture in Scientology? I think that there is a culture in Scientology that Children are not children. So, yeah. Hi, it's Jamie, Progressive's Employee of the Month, two months in a row. Leave a message at the... Hi, Jamie. It's me, Jamie. I just had a new idea for our song about the Name Your Price tool. So when it's like, tell us what you want to pay, hey, 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 and the trombone goes, wah, 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 and you say, we'll help you find coverage options to fit your budget. Then we decide.
just all do finger snaps while a choir goes, Satan's coming at ya, Satan's coming at ya. Yes? No? Maybe? Anyway, see you at practice tonight. I got new lyrics for the rap break. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hi, it's Jamie, Progressive's Employee of the Month, two months in a row. Leave a message at the... Hi, Jamie. It's me, Jamie. I just had a new idea for our song about the Name Your Price tool. So when it's like, tell us what you want to pay, hey, 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 and the trombone goes, wah, 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 and you say, we'll help you find coverage options to fit your budget. Then we just all do finger snaps while a choir goes, savings coming at ya, savings coming at ya. Yes? No? Maybe? Anyway, see your practice tonight. I got new lyrics for the rap break. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company.